0: where are you cowboys and cowgirls at hey everybody this is dan helenbrand and welcome to modern cowboy the podcast for the cowboy lifestyles and businesses around the world i'm glad you're here so sit back in your saddle and prepare to be inspired motivated educated and entertained as i interview a new guest each week that embodies the modern cowboy hey hello everybody and welcome to the modern cowboy podcast um this morning here, uh, I've got a great guest on. It's actually the first saddle bronc rider I've had on the podcast. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, that being said, I've, I want to mention a, a company that I, I just came across this weekend. My wife and I were out in, here in Arizona in Queen Creek and I get taken to a lot of garage sales or, uh, vendor booths and things where there's a lot of food trucks and that. And anyway, there was a, there was a little outfit there. Um, And uh, they were in a little uh, converted two-horse trailer, which was kind of cool. It's a company called Frios uh, Gourmet Pops, and these are like an all-natural popsicle. And in in Arizona, you need all the cooling down you can get. So, anyway, I stopped in and I talked to uh, Jessica and and had one of them, and they were super good. Uh, They're they're actually in several other states. I don't exactly know which ones, but you can check them out at FriosPops.com. That's F-R-I-O-S-P-O-P-S.com. For everybody here in Arizona, they're actually opening up a first location in uh, Eastmark out there, um, East uh, Queen Creek. So anyway, Frios Gourmet Pops, really cool deal. Uh, Really dug the trailer, little two-horse trailer converted. Um, So check them out. So, um, the guest I have on today, I've got Nick LaDuke. Uh, he's a uh, professional rodeo cowboy, uh, saddle bronc rider, and I think he's got a pretty amazing story. We'll get into that. Uh, something Nick may not know, he's he's in Livermore now, and I, I, I do know that he was born in Pleasanton. Um, I was a chiropractor for many years, and I actually practiced right there in Pleasanton for about 12 years and uh lived off of North Livermore Road um 2250 North Livermore we rented a little place across the freeway there on the other side of uh of uh, the 580 a little 10 acres in that little pink house we rented that um before we built our place out in the uh, Knightson area but uh so we i'm i'm sure Nick and I know a lot of the same people um i've, I've never met him but uh i i used to you know cruise through, uh, 580 there when, uh, I thought I was all cool in my, uh, convertible Porsche that was, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it was quite the experience, <laughs> had that thing about a year and realized, uh, I didn't need it, but anyway, so I'm excited to talk to Nick and, and hear his story and, and what he's got going on, like I said, he's a saddle bronc rider from the PRCA and, which is like such a cool event because it just, it just looks, uh, it looks so cool to do, um. Uh, and it's kind of like the classic rodeo event you know uh bronc riding so anyway um i just like to welcome nick to the podcast this morning um nick welcome to modern cowboy
1: hello everybody glad to be here it's kind of kind of different you know i listen to a lot of podcasts myself and you listen to the lead and uh you're waiting for somebody else to speak and then it's your turn it's kind of kind of neat so
2: yeah it,
0: it it is kind of a, a funny deal but it's But it's great, and and it's probably that leading. You didn't know that I'd lived in Livermore or or practiced in Pleasanton, did you?
1: No, not at all. Me and my wife just bought a a bare nine-acre piece of ground in in Knights in California also. We're going to build a training facility and kind of a rodeo slash combat sports uh, crossover facility out there, and we're going to live out there, so it's going to be, we're following the same track.
0: Oh that's crazy cuz we we built a place right um on uh, Eden Plains Road there.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's where that's where we bought bought some land there.
0: No kidding. That's that's funny. Same road. That's funny. So are, where are you closer to towards the uh towards the school or where are you guys
2: at?
1: So if you're on Byron Highway, I believe there's railroad tracks that'll be in front of you before you kind of get up into night then Turn left on a road called Sunset. Turn right on Eden Plains, and uh, I believe we'd just be just south uh, of like downtown in the school there.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. It's that's such a great little town there. Very cool, small world, man. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. So, so Nick, this uh, if if you want, just give give us a you know your your, your background, however detailed you want, and. uh uh, starting from whenever you want and, and
2: up to where where you're at today
1: all right well was born in the san francisco bay area um, have a mother whose lineage comes from kansas so that's i guess where that's probably where i got my horse interest and stuff genetically it was probably from them but uh i grew up uh, out here in uh in california born and raised and wasn't necessarily, uh, at all, all that, uh, attached to, uh, horse stuff and cowboy stuff when I was younger for whatever reasons. Um, I know I was born with a medical condition called WPW, Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome, but it's a heart condition that, uh, involves you having an extra passageway, like electrical current path in your heart that, uh, so I had that deal, you know, and, and, uh, having some seizures too, diagnosed with epilepsy. So kind of figure, you know, there's a lot of cowboy stuff that goes on around the San Francisco Bay area that people don't ever really recognize. And, uh, when I was younger, I never really got to be a part of it around here. Um, probably due more just to the fact that I had them health conditions and my mom probably had to keep me a little shielded from from a lot of the activities but the other side is you know there just isn't that many uber high level you know practitioners of the sport left you know so i don't know um kind of a neat place to grow up but i did more way more city stuff when i was younger than i ever got to participate on the back of a horse uh lead in from there went to college on a rodeo scholarship, when I finally got more involved in rodeo, got to go to West Hills College for two years, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, on a rodeo scholarship, riding bucking and horses and playing with all the other events too. Shoot, I, in college, I think I rode calves before, I bulldog, team roped on the head and heel side, rode bareback horses, bulls, and broncs all uh all at one point or another ended up at them college rodeos so i'll always have a soft spot for college rodeo and knowing how many things i got to try during that period of my life that had i not gone to do that i probably would not have been able to be exposed to that kind of stuff at such a high level so it was cool
0: yeah that's 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 crazy and to, and to do all that and now you said you were diagnosed with uh that you know it's it's an it it's like an accessory
2: electrical
1: yeah so wolf parkinson white syndrome just the deal where like you have like an extra passageway in your heart so like if your body decides and i don't really know
0: so nick tell me um what exactly is the wolf parkinson syndrome
1: the wolf parkinson white syndrome a heart condition uh that people are born with but uh it's just an extra passageway in your heart. So if for some reason the body wants to cue into that passageway for the heart to be able to hit everything electrically, it sends it into beats, you know, up above 200 beats a minute. So if your heart stays in that, in that electrical current for too long, it'll, it'll definitely kill you cause your heart to shut down.
0: Yeah. So now is, is that something that's like completely under control now? Do you have to take medication for it or anything?
1: So when I was eight years old, they went in there to try and fix it. They couldn't get, so they'd go in with catheters and uh, try and go in there with a catheter that's electrically charged, and they try to burn out the the extra passageway. When I was eight, they couldn't get it, but we went back when I was 10 down to San Diego, and they were able to get in there. Man, it took that doctor, I think they were in there for like six or seven hours or longer. Like for some reason, that extra fiber bundle in the heart was hard to find, but they eventually got it burnt out. Um, I don't know. I've I've always been into combat sports and been active and stuff like that, you know, and uh, I do know there's plenty of times in my life where my heart and body, like I'll go to pushing so hard, like if my cardio's not real good. And I'll definitely have something inside my soul telling me to kind of, kind of slow down, you know, Mm -hmm. but, uh, I think I feel like when I'm at peak fitness, cardio wise and everything that I'm, I'm just as functional as anybody else. Cause all I have left in my heart is just the scar tissue where they killed off the, the one part of it that causes the, the tachycardias.
0: Yeah. And so was, was, you said also that you had some seizures. Was that related to that as well? Or was that just something completely different from that?
1: So they never could uh, pinpoint exactly what, what caused the grand mal seizures when I was six. They just know, you know, like typical other seizures that when I came in, I was really hot Mm -hmm. and uh, we were camping in the summertime and it, set off two grand malls but you know like I don't know what with all these medications and stuff like that we we don't really know what we're doing to people when we put people on meds you know even if it's supposed to be good for them you know and it's going to save their life one way so I kind of I just feel like with the meds and the situation you know it probably just overheated the heck out of my system and sent me into something but by the time I was like 13 the the brain docs they uh they cleared me from uh the epilepsy and they still never came down to a exactity of why that that came about so the only thing I the only thing I do know with all of it was when they cleared me from epilepsy and I got off the meds I guess maybe I was 11 or 12 not 13 um one some that summer for some reason I had a lot of extra energy and I wanted to get ready because I wanted to wrestle that next year and when they took me off all the medication I went from 145 pounds as a sixth grader to wrestling that next fall and winter at 117 pounds and the only thing I did was just go running with like garbage bags and stuff, you know,
2: uh-huh.
1: throughout that, that summer. And then when they did the blood and they checked up on it, like everything was healthy as can be. So I don't know exactly where that epilepsy came from, but I do know it, it kind of put some constraints on my life through them childhood years.
0: Yeah. And and one of the reasons I asked that is because what did your mom think when you just said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to start rodeo and, and riding bucking horses or whatever. I mean I'm not sure what age you started that but you did go to college on a scholarship so uh how was how was mom's reception to that?
1: Oh my mom was a firm supporter. You know, I I've, I've been blessed with having understanding, you know. She come from farm people, you know. She came from World War 2 vet brothers that had been in Vietnam, you know, like there's a firm understanding that some people are just wired a little different, you know, and uh, she supported anything that I wanted to do positively, Um, so I meant, like, she'd already been through the shit ringer and back with a kid that, you know, had to go to Children's Hospital Oakland every now and again for these tachycardias and had epilepsy, and, you know, she was a single mother from two, my, my age of two until Five, you know so she's dealing for like three years straight with this kid that's got all these issues so I think by the time I finally got cleared you know and I'd already the doctors had let me the doctors let me play football they let me play baseball they let me play soccer all these city sports that they understood you know mm-hmm. but this whole idea of of doing like junior rodeos and stuff riding little calves or something they they just kind of Wanted to stay away from that kind of stuff. So we just stayed away from that environment. But uh, as far as stuff goes, man, my mom was, hauled me to every, as soon as I decided that that's what I wanted to do, she hauled me to every bull ride and practice around, you know, to to go get on because that's where we had opportunity in this Bay Area. You know, we had Mickey Perfumo, Justin Andrade, bucked all of Julio Moreno's calves. At one point up there off of Tesla Road in Livermore, a man named Mark Jagel's house. Uh, We had a man named Brent Gilbert out in Byron, California that bucked all of uh, Danny Russell's cabs. And then we had another group, uh, the Maloney brothers. Uh, One man, pretty cool dude. Uh, His name's Sam, but he's uh, a man. He just fabricates all kinds of stuff and he's in a wheelchair. And, uh, but anyway, this, this guy in a wheelchair, Sam, he built a full on bucking facility, bucking chutes and panels and everything itself without any help. And, uh, they were both old time bull riders. So we had a lot of bull riding opportunity, but long story short, my mom hauled me to all that and was a firm supporter of it.
0: Yeah, it's cool, man. You know, a lot of times people don't, uh, Realize that you know, like you were saying, just the how rich the cowboy and professional cowboy culture is in in California, I mean, like the average person uh you know at one time, Oakdale was you know the cowboy capital of the world with uh more world champions living there than anywhere else, but um
2: that's very cool,
1: and it, you know the only reason I think it's kind of getting lost a little bit is more to do with insurance liability and and the old timers don't understand new civilization, I don't think, you know, and I say this from kind of an outsider's perspective. Um, there's still all the culture left. We still have world champions hiding out behind their ranch gate, you know, places. Mm-hmm. Uh Livermore will still be the town that the icon that was on the PRCA emblem, Billy Ward, you know, he passed away in the town of Livermore worked for a family called the walkers for years and years and years, you know, like we're rich in history of stuff, but there's not a lot of people that will uh, put the time in to help somebody that's not in their family.
2: Yeah. And
1: by family, I mean, their niche, their angle of it, you know, and I think, I think that's why I stayed, so separate wasn't necessarily the health conditions that kept me away. Cause I could still, the doctors never said nothing about me going and roping or riding horses and stuff like that.
2: Mm-hmm. It was
1: rough stock stuff. So when I was a little kid, you know, I learned that, um, we may be rich in culture of it, but with the diversity and stuff and people live in such beautiful lives from the side of the agriculture side, I think they, tend to like to hide out a little bit from the general public
2: (laughs) right right
0: exactly so now when did you uh just switch to solely riding uh bronx saddle bronx
1: well i got pretty rough start you know so like uh i was all in when i started riding bulls when i was when i turned 14 and uh The only practice I had was, like, full-grown bulls, so I ended up going to the Junior Bull Riders deal,
2: because,
1: I mean, I was a wrestler, football player, baseball player, all these sports, so by the time I started riding bulls, the only thing I was wasn't necessarily a cowboy, but I was an athlete, Um, so I started the bull riding, just kind of getting on whatever, not really knowing technique, not caring, just tickled to death to be part of the lifestyle, you know? So in that, uh, man, I broke, I broke my wrist like four times in high school, lacerated my liver, broke my ribs, uh, broke my orbital, uh, cracked a fibula, uh, serious brain hit hem- or a brain hemorrhage, like major concussion. So fast forward through all that, you know, like we all idolized Ty Murray, like old school Justin Andrade was cool too, man. Being able to ride them bareback horses in the Bronx the way he did. Right. So, uh, for me, uh, you looked at all them guys and you got to watch them on TV and be so successful. So you wanted to be able to do the same thing. So like when I got into high school, the bull riding was my first outlet to get to play cowboy, but in the end uh lack of knowledge and stuff kind of eventually broke my egg just from getting so beat up from doing all that so by like uh, my sophomore or actually somewhere in that first year too sophomore year of high school was my first year high school rodeo I I got a bareback rigging I started riding bareback horses qualified to silver state that year in the bareback riding um then, uh, into my junior year, just bareback riding, bull riding into my senior year. I finally, we finally got enough money for me to buy a Bronx saddle. So we bought a Bronx saddle and then I went and just crawled on at the high school rodeo. I've never been on a, a saddle Bronx horse in my life. And <laughs> We bought a Bronx saddle and I went and got on it, the high school rodeo. And it's so funny. Like one of my best memories, like when I go to teach these camps and everybody's getting real serious, you know, or something. And and I'm back here thinking, shit, I got on it my first rodeo before I even knew how to measure a buck rein. This guy, Greg Rydell, he like, after I got off my bucking horse, he kind of come over and was like acting like he was going to chew my butt a little bit. And he asked me about taking a rain measurement. And I was like, well, I didn't even know you were supposed to take a rain measurement.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so anyway, he, he his son's named Jesse, Jesse Rydell. And they're pretty well known in the cowboy circle, you know, out here. And uh, anyway, he come over and he probably don't even remember it. But he come over and showed me how to measure my first rain after I'd already been on in a competition setting. <laughs> but, but Grant, I'd been riding bulls since I was a, a sophomore, right? And I'd already been to the junior bull riders national final. I'd already qualified for Silver State. And I think at this point, I'd already like placed pretty deep at challenge. Um, so anyway, like I, I, you'd, you'd figure a kid that had been around that much would just, Completely understand something before he's about to go do it, but no, it was funny.
0: <laughs> and so then, and and how how old are you now? I'm thirty four. Thirty four, and, and you're you're still going strong. Are are you are you you know seeing a into you know riding bronx professionally in, in in the near future, or how are you looking at it?
1: You know, I set goals when I was really young um, about doing stuff, and I've uh, I've got to every single goal except for except for the pinnacle, you know, like I've qualified into every rodeo on the planet uh p r c a sanction wise other than Calgary and the n f r um so for me that's kind of, that held on to my soul for a while because i just i'm not used to you know rodeo's the first sport that I've ever done in my life that was that I had to really work at. You know, obviously I didn't play baseball up until the minors and the MLB, you know, otherwise I'd be learning the same lesson out of baseball. You know, having not played division one and NFL, I would have learned the same lesson out of, out of football. Um, But when I was young, you know, everything was just so natural for me. And, and I, and I was addicted to winning and, and that was always my goals and I just couldn't stomach it. So honest to God, at this point in my career, I still haven't hit the benchmark of what I wanted. Um, so now it's kind of like my whole existence is kind of strapped around this and everything, every neat person I've met in my adult life, I probably met because of the fact that I was rodeoing and and at least attempting to do something at a higher level, you know?
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And so now it's kind of like life has brought me so many cool things that came from outside the rodeo world, but it came about because of rodeo. So, you know, I'm, I'm a little different, like, even though you can look over here and be like, man, this rodeo is a money pit, you know, and this whole deal like that, I'm over here thinking, hell, if I didn't rodeo, I wouldn't have all these financial things that have happened outside of my outside of my rodeo life even happened to me, you know, like, so for me that my, my health, man, I still work out all the time, have to, um, and I love it. I, uh, I still love getting on bucking horses and my wife's still happy. You know, we were, she's 30, I'm 34. We were able to finance, the. uh, uh this nine-acre place, I kind of call it a, a, the compound. We're calling it Agape Ranch um, in Knights in California, where I'm going to start running, you know, doing more of my colt riding and running youth programs and youth initiatives and trying to get as many of my combat athlete friends together to come ride horses, you know, and just spread the spread the goodness of what can be learned when you play with horses, you know, and when you when you respect them at the highest level, you know.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely, man. That's so cool and that's so funny. Uh you're right there in Knights and on Eden Plains Road. You'll have to meet uh Greg Williams. He's got uh, a little um winery there where he makes wine. We had a little vineyard there too. We had like uh, what we have 700 vines and we'd make uh, uh oh about about seven hundred bottles a year is what we made, but really cool guy, Greg, and uh, knows a lot about uh, a lot about history and a lot about Western history too. So you'll have to you have to introduce yourself to him over there. Yeah,
1: I'd love, I'd love to love to go over there and meet everybody.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, very been, cool. Been
1: been so busy with this life and pursuing random weird dreams, you know that uh, that I really haven't stopped to be able to meet everybody yet. So it's kind yeah. of nice
0: so and now you're talking about uh you're into, into into martial arts is that what you're talking about in the combat sports
1: yeah I, lo- I love it uh so i wrestled when i was young um i was getting a little chubby come my junior senior year of college so it was time to start working out kind of more seriously for the first time in my life and i cross-trained with the boxing team there at unlv you know uh nothing crazy just got in their bag workouts and stuff with them twice a week and it got me back to speed and put me back in the game did that until I broke a wrist couldn't hit the bag really anymore so uh then uh after that took a handful of years break I guess from 20, uh one 22 years old to 27 I didn't really train anything combat sports or martial arts wise then I was living out in Texas and uh I don't know something in my soul was just telling me it was time to go to do something you know physical like that and I'd always watched the MMA and was a big fan of the UFC and stuff like that so I uh, went over and started training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with uh uh this franchise called team took, um, mm-hmm. out of Cypress, Texas. And, you know, they, uh, one of the guys that was on the UFC roster at that point, he now manages a bunch of stuff for on it in Austin, Texas. Uh, Eve Edwards was another guy and I was watching, uh, the ballers TV show on HBO last night.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, he had a role there right next to Jay Glazer you know, the black belt that is Travis took. He, he's just a phenom. He was one of the youngest, uh, Caucasian guys to go down to Brazil and one of the fastest to get his black belt. Um, I forgot what year it was. He might've been 24.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I think it took him like six years to get his black belt, but long story short, just kind of blessed by accident to fall into this really neat network to get my first experience with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu And then, Came out here to California because my mom and dad were still here. And uh, when I would stopped home in the wintertime, there was a a bunch of Brazilians that were kind of stationed here that my mom had heard about. So I went in there and worked out with them a couple times. And uh, I've just kind of hit and missed it. I love it. You know, the, the Bushido culture, the Budo culture, when you study into what a samurai was um it's really intriguing very intriguing
0: yeah absolutely so. and, and and i agree and in, in we've been my sons and i we've just been huge fans of ufc since you know the beginning and uh it's uh it, it and now the ufc uh, or the pbr is owned by the same you know parent company that owns the ufc um it's it's just growing so much. And down here in AZ, I, uh, Ryan Bader, he lives here. And one day I was in uh, the Apple store and he came walking in and it was, I think it was right after, or right. Yeah. Right after the Rashad Evans fighter before I can't remember. Anyway, I always get starstruck for, for some reason and uh, I couldn't remember his name. And then another day of uh, this last, I don't know, maybe six, eight months ago, I was walking out of a grocery store and there's Dominic Cruz and I'm going, hey, hey, I know you, you know, like I couldn't remember his name either, but anyway, I'm a I'm a big fan of the mixed martial arts um stuff, but uh, very cool. Hey man. question
1: for you. Did Dominic did Dominic Cruz look unusually uh big to uh weigh in at one thirty five? Next question, did Ryan Bader look unusually large to weigh in at two oh five?
0: I've, I've, so I've seen Ryan Vader uh, twice and one time he was a little bit more lean he's a big guy though I mean I'm only 5'7 right. you know 160 but he's a big dude and I, I saw him one time he looked more lean another time I saw him he, he looked pretty thick and you know you know, he ropes too he heals I don't know if you know that or oh, not very cool. yeah oh,
1: very cool
0: yeah and then um, no, I've, seen,
1: I've seen a picture of Brian Ortega my wife brought this up uh, uh, Brian Ortega was shirtless, riding the horse around with a rope in his hand, <laughs> and uh, and it, all I know is, you know, once you get up the chain athletically, you definitely uh, have chances to meet up with friends that have things. But I just, uh, that's what I know about the, the inside of that that MMA world at the highest level. Yeah, those guys all have a lot of feel, and they have a lot of appreciation for life. The majority of them, if not all of them, at the highest level. So we're talking your top end Bellator, your UFC roster, your black belts in in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu kind of stuff. Like I have never, I've put maybe two or three, two different black belts in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu on horses. One had horse riding experience, the other had been on a horse trail riding one time in Brazil, and he was like 34 Mm -hmm. by the time I get him on a horse. And every single one of these guys by the end of a session was was galloping a horse around with all the control, just having a good time and not doing anything to the animal that, that I thought would be detrimental, you know?
0: Well, that's my, my son and I, we always say we'll be watching the UFC fight and you'll be a, a Brazilian guy in there fighting and we'll go, oh yeah, he's just after the fight, he's gonna go ride some bulls now because <laughs> they're such great athletes, you know?
1: right until you look at their size when they're not in the octagon in the octagon they all look like they're bull riding size right and then when you watch them like in regular everyday life and they weigh like 25 pounds more than bull riding size you're <laughs> like wow yeah that guy might be just a little bit too top heavy to be yeah to be bull riding at that at that size
0: that's funny I, mean, it, oh,
1: I, I completely feel you uh
0: the thing about dominant Cruz, it just i am um it he, he just surprised me. I just, you know, everybody looks so much bigger on TV. He just, you know, he just was, uh, you know, just was a normal sized guy. You know what I mean? He was about my height that seemed like, and and uh, there was another guy with him. I cannot remember his name and I still haven't been able to Google him and find him. And I felt so bad and I totally recognized the guy, but I just, I, I don't know who he, I don't know who he was. And um, I actually posted the picture on Instagram. So maybe take a look at it and you might be able to tell me his name, but Anyway, yeah, I love the MMA stuff. Now, with your new place that you're putting up out there, uh, where you're going to do the horse training and stuff, are you are you are you going to be doing um, any type of uh, MMA training out there? Because you just mentioned combat sports, are you going to be having you know guys from the combat sport world coming out and learning, uh, you know, um, horse horse riding, horse training, and that kind of stuff? Uh?
1: So, so my uh, my plan with this, so uh, actually, when we first bought this place, I have a buddy his name's. Uh, Brendan O'Reilly, he's from, uh, Queensland, New South Wales over there, Australia, but mm-hmm. he fought in the UFC at 155 and 170 before he retired, um, a year and a half ago, I think is when he retired, but, uh, anyway, so he, his, his fight name was, uh, the Relentless Badger, but he's a real cool dude. And he come out and hung out with me at Houston and I took him to Austin, Texas and all them big winter rodeos um he flew out from australia and uh man me me and him went back to california for a few days in between all them rodeos for the month he was out there and uh we had to go clear some brush out on the property that we bought and we were just talking about all the cool stuff that could go on and uh fast forward you know since last march so how many ever months that ever since my wheels had just been turning that way and you know he's got some buddies now that have that are like horse trainers in Australia that have mat rooms and and really decent gyms Mm -hmm. on their ranches and there's like this underground network of like high level equestrian practitioners that are also respected in the martial arts communities um and vice versa, you know, high level martial arts practitioners that that can get around horses and, and get around, you know, stuff that other people can just talk about getting right. around, you know. Right. Um so I I don't know, the the wheels started turning when me and Brendan were hanging out driving, you know, Highway Ten and now uh thus far I met and I went and met with a man um named Chad Hooker. And he runs a program called Puzzle Piece Athletic, um, but it's a, it, he runs it out of Combat Sports Academy's gym. So anyway, the Combat Sports Academy are like world class when it comes to striking, uh, Muay Thai, kickboxing, MMA, and uh, like they they helped out Henry Cejudo when he was on the uh, was one of the tough coaches they brought in. This crew. So anyway, I went over there and talked to this Chad Hooker because he runs this uh, workout program for uh, people on the spectrum, right? So mm-hmm. autism and things. Yeah. And uh, he's been getting a lot of humongous acknowledgments because he's just doing such cool work. So I was like, man, how cool would that be to like bring together the all these people that have worked so hard for small fi- financial monetary rewards. You know, like in the rodeo world, in the martial arts world, and in the horse training world, like ever there's there's no way to know something in any of these realms of life without having, you know, been in a pretty dangerous situation at one point or another, you know. So I think when we think about this idea of Budo culture and Bushido and all this stuff, And moral codes, you know, that being the samurai's moral code, Bushido. We all have so much in common, and you know, I see so much burnout in different realms of life. Like somebody will come along that wants to help, let's say, people on the spectrum, and they're doing a really good job, but nobody comes in to support them. Right the 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 business outlines aren't necessarily made to pay that much money, so eventually maybe the business ends because you've done so many free works for god you know it just burns you out and you got to go do something else you know horse training's in the same right so my goal with this property when i started coming into all my buddies that it's done something at such a high level and we all end up kind of in similar places after we're done you know like happened to sort out that next realm of life and what's it going to be? I was like, what would be a better way to bring the world together than get together all these people that are doing so good, get them all like comfortable around horses so that they could see the benefits of, of bringing their people out to interact, you know, and celebrate martial arts culture via people in need you know like physical need right. and uh and do something good for the world that is not BS and it brings us all together under a real principle and that is hard work and there's you know the not being scared of the butt kicking that's going to come to you in life and just rolling with it you know
2: yeah very cool
0: very cool man so you're you you're working on developing the property right now do you do you have any idea when you might be up and going or is it just still in the planning so stage? We
1: the construction crew said that we will be uh we will be moved in out there as far as living on the property um March first. So pretty quick we'll be moved in. Um man, I'm a I'm a typical cowboy though, rodeo cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason why I don't go rope rope gears for a living and it's probably the amount of income you know, that I've had stacked in my bank account to financially support things. Right. So, um, I've got a lot of friends and a lot of places uh, and no real financial plan yet to get the, uh, the structures that it would take to go in house with the gyms and things like that yet. Right. And I don't really have a plan for the arena and, and how to finance, you know, either like a WW or a pre deal right so we'll just roll with the roll with the flow when the time gets there um but as when march first hits, i'll be i'll be putting my receptors out there to figure out how we're gonna finance the whole whole program
0: very cool very cool man hey so we're getting close to the end of our time nick and uh i always like to ask these questions uh what uh what's your brand of cowboy hat
1: my brand of cowboy hat um you know really anything that looks good i'll generally bounce between the american straws and the uh and the resist uh i'm not uh financially tied to any of them but yeah definitely a resist all or an american as of right now but if some nice company ever came together and made me a fan of their stuff and made it worth my while. I'm sure I would wear theirs.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. How about boots?
1: Uh, definitely first string, uh, would be Justin. Uh, I was, I've used up the crisis fund money. I've done a lot of speaking at the, the Justin cowboy crisis fund event. So Justin comes first on my soul. Um, uh, riding boots or bar stows. And then, uh, I definitely like my Ariot boots too.
0: Cool, man. You got a uh,
2: favorite uh, cowboy movie? I
0: would
1: say I probably back in my my younger days was a direct representative of uh the role Woody Harrelson played in The Cowboy Way. <laughs> and you know like they get into the city and the guy just doesn't care and he's not scared to go get up there on the model runway and his underwear to go pay all the bills you know yeah. Pepper. So, uh, <laughs> I, yeah i feel like i feel like me and pepper had a lot in common so i think the <laughs> cowboy way is probably my favorite cowboy movie
0: uh, that's that's great man uh and uh what about uh music any favorite artist
1: I'll tell you what, I've always uh, – I seem to stay in my best moods when I can wake up to something that has some base and, and is going. Um, as far as country right now, uh, not on that first statement I made. Uh, Ryan Bingham, Cody Johnson, humongous fans of those guys. Uh, but really, like, I've got some Easy e like, house mixes mm-hmm. on my phone. So I guess if you can combine, like, the NWA-style rap movement from the early 90s with club music, EDM-style music, like, that that suits me just fine right there.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, hey, Nick, man, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your story with us. And, and uh, you know, it was nice to finally talk to you. And we probably passed each other on the road many times there in, in Livermore. And I'm sure I've, uh, you know, seen you uh, in several rodeos, but just didn't didn't know you yet. So it was great to great to talk with you, and uh, look forward to seeing how um, everything develops out there in Knightson. And, and we'll definitely come by and visit you when when we're up that way again.
1: Oh, I'd love to have you, and thanks for doing this podcast. Uh- you know there's only a couple of you that i've really paid attention to but i think it's definitely doing good to draw light to uh what we know to be so good in life
0: absolutely the world needs more cowboys you know
1: the world needs more cowboys and more good fences that's for sure
0: absolutely well hey nick it was a great talk with you man and uh, we'll stay in touch and um thanks again huh where are
1: you cowboys and yes cowboys sir have at? a good day
0: yep
3: Friday afternoon I hitch up the trailer Saddle up old rock And ice down a cooler I drive that old back road Until it ends At the rope and pin We got them rusted out pickups And fancy rigs Twenty thousand dollar horses Then there's my own stick Although we're all the same Many we ride in, to the rope and pen Well I know, play your speed But I give her hell, hey you never can tell Someday I just might be We'll turn a few steers, and we'll tell a few lies Kick back in the saddle and philosophize Most of life's problems Yeah, we're gonna solve them Down at the rope and pin Yeah, we don't do it for the money Yeah, we're always broke Just ask Clint what he paid to rope he's lost a dozen wives half the fingers on his hands to the rope and pen and it takes a little skill and a little luck if you can talk smack you can back it up oh but we're all friends no matter who wins down at the rope and Until someday I just might be We'll turn another pin of steers Tell a few more lies Drink another beer and hypothesize Most of life's problems By God we're gonna solve them Down at the rope and pen We'll see y'all again Next weekend down at the Roman Bay Down at the Roman Bay.